Once, uh, many years ago, when I was leading the church in Hastings, we uh, had two women in our congregation who worked as reporters on the local newspaper. And uh, through their contacts, I got a chance to do what we called a God spot. So I used to write a little article in the newspaper. did it for two or three years every week. It was a weekly paper, of course. And, and, and it was called God Spot. And I found that what God led me to do was often from Proverbs. Not always. I, I try to be appropriate to time of year. Obviously, Christmas, Easter, and things like that. But by and large, I, I looked at Proverbs and just would take one here, one there, maybe in a new translation, and just unpack God's wisdom. And quite honestly, this was the day before long before, well, we didn't have emails. Oh, no, I'm not even sure we had a computer. Well, I certainly didn't. I tried to avoid having one. I've got one now. Um, I don't think we did have computer. Uh, no emails. Let's not go there. No, no Twitter. So you just relied on people's letters and phone calls. Now, although there were a few negative, there always are, you know, a few atheists and maniacs who thought there shouldn't be anything about God in the paper, the vast majority of the feedback that the paper got was very, very positive. That's why they allowed me and wanted me to carry on for years. And do you know, it, what it was, was it makes sense. God's way of living makes sense to people. It connects with them. It sometimes highlights what's wrong with our lives, but actually it also gives us a bit of hope and a bit of direction often, and a bit of like fresh air. Oh, right, yeah, that is true. And I want to apply it in my life. So I'm going to, this morning, sort of, take a few questions and points and just unpack them as we go through. The first one I want to do is ask the question, so what is wisdom? What is wisdom? Because Proverbs talks a lot about wisdom. What is it? Now, when you're studying uh, for these things and reading commentaries, you'll get a lot of different definitions. But I want to put two up that I just uh, liked that I came across in my reading. So let's hear these two definitions of what wisdom is. Wisdom is the God-given ability to perceive the true nature of a matter and to implement the will of God in that matter. Just let's pause. It's a bit wordy, but let's pause. Wisdom is the God-given ability to perceive the true nature of a matter and to implement the will of God in that matter. Now, the exciting thing this morning is that this wisdom is available to every one of us. We're going to see that this morning, whether we're young, old, whether we have a high IQ or a low IQ, that's not the issue here. You can have, from God, the ability to pursue, perceive the true nature, the real roots of issues, the true nature, and then to implement the will of God in that matter. Or another one, godly wisdom is comprehensive insight into the ways and purposes of God. That's a privilege, isn't it? about our lives, about how, like the maker's instructions, how life's meant to work, how it will work best, where you actually can get an insight into the ways and purposes of God. You can. God has got that for you. And we'll see that as we go through. So I like those two definitions. Real wisdom, then, is always the God perspective. It's God-centered. It's about handling our affairs in the light of how God sees things and the instruction he gives us. And actually, it is infinitely valuable. It is the best way to live, a wisest way to live, to follow God's instructions. Now, God's word contains wisdom and God's wisdom from end to end. But, of course, some of it's a little more, has to be dug out, like mining gold from, or from, from the ground. But the book of Proverbs, it's a bit lying on the surface. It's like the gold's there. There's a lot of wisdom that's just there, just very easy and accessible. You can pick it up 
almost in a few minutes of reading it in the morning. Let the Holy Spirit set, settle it in your heart. And this wisdom is totally up to date. You see, God doesn't change. He is always right. He is always right. He's always got the right view on things. And although philosophies and fashions come and go, what God says, his wisdom, is always applicable to us, whoever we are, wherever we live, 21st century, 1st century, Western world, third world, whatever we want to call it, God's wisdom will have something to say to us. And if we get hold of it, it will be the best way to live wherever we are. There is a timelessness to it. There's actually an up-to-date. You'll notice that when we look at some of them. It's quite up-to-date. It's quite like you think, oh, yeah, that makes sense for me in my life. Some you need to sort of dig a little further. It's not... It's a bit like panning for gold, I suppose. It's there, but sometimes you need to shuffle it around a bit. But sometimes it's just there on the surface, and it will make sense for your daily living. God's ways, when they're obeyed, they do work wonderfully. Here's something we need to get clear in our heads. God is not out trying to make our lives difficult. His object is not to make life as miserable and difficult and confusing as possible. We do live in a sin-sick world. This is not my subject this morning, so I can only say it quickly. We do have a complicated situation. There is our own sin and other people's sin. There are demonic forces. There is a devil and and his fallen angels. There is an awful lot wrong with things around us. And that does make life pretty confusing. But God's wisdom is not confusing. It is to bring light in the middle of darkness. It's to help us to live well. God is a good God And he desires us to live well. He desires it particularly for his people. I think that's fair to say. He wants his covenant people to live well. And we should be, if we're followers of Jesus, automatically interested in how God says we should live. That should be a natural instinct. We shouldn't have a resistance to that. But actually, even if you're not a follower of Jesus, you will probably live a lot better by taking notice of God's wisdom. Because He does know what he's saying. He is right. He knows how things work. But you can do better than that, and I hope you'll do that over the weeks we're looking at it, and come to know the God whose wisdom we're looking at and actually have his wisdom in you through the Holy Spirit. That's that's the best place to be. And for most of us in this room, I hope that is true. Not for everybody. But I hope it's true that we've already asked Jesus into our lives. We've, we've asked God to forgive us our sin. We've turned from our old foolish way of living. We've been born again of the Holy Spirit. And I trust we're filled with the Spirit. We endeavor to walk our lives filled with the Spirit. In which case, we should really benefit from reading Proverbs and understanding what God's saying. Because the Word and the Spirit will work together Remember, he who is in you, Christ in you, in Corinthians it tells us, he has become for us wisdom from God. That's 1 Corinthians 1.30. So the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ in you, is in total harmony with the wisdom of God. It's almost like you've got the wisdom already on the software of what God's put in you. And so that will link in with the Word. And the Word and the Spirit together will be a powerful combination. It'll make sense. Sometimes it'll prick your conscience. Sometimes it'll stir your heart. Sometimes it'll make you feel a little challenged and awkward. But it's like the Holy Spirit saying, come on, this is the way. This is the wise way to live. And it's almost like it it, it clarifies it. 
The Holy Spirit clarifies it. He, he leads us in, in, in paths and we think, oh, right. You know, you, I, I really guarantee if you start reading this book prayerfully over the next few months, you will find things that really apply to your life, that the Holy Spirit just picks them up and applies them because the Word and the Spirit work together to cause us to walk as God wants us to walk and as will be best for us to live well. You see, Jesus is the truth, God's word's truth. There's a harmony there. And Jesus said, you'll know the truth if you follow me, and the truth will set you free. And this is going to be part of setting you free to live as you should live. The truth will set you free, and the spirit of truth in you will help that. Let's make another point. God's wisdom is not hidden. Second sort of point I want to make. Proverbs personifies wisdom as a woman. A, a, a woman, but she's not a shy, retiring, quiet little woman hiding in a corner. Here she is, Proverbs 1, verses 20 to 21. Out in the open, wisdom calls. You see in context, it's uh, uh, personified as a woman. Out in the open, wisdom calls aloud. She raises her voice in the public square. On top of the wall, she cries out. She's not a shy retiring. On top of the wall, she cries out. At the city gate, she makes her speech. What's God saying? God's saying, my wisdom is not hard to find. Don't let the devil fool you. Don't be conned by the world. It's not hard to find God's wisdom. God says, I'm, she's not obscure. She's bold. She is raising her voice in the public square. She's on the top of the wall and cries out. The city gate, where she makes her speech, where people come in and out. In New Testament terms, James tells us this, if we could look at James 1 verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. That is a straightforward promise. Very straightforward. We might well pick it up at the end this morning and pray into people's situations where they feel, I need some wisdom. I think that's what we will do. I need, you know, this is really tricky. I don't know what to do. I need wisdom. Well, let's take James 1.5 literally. If anyone lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. So God's not all sniffy and, uh, you know, very, very conditional about it. If you come and ask him, it will be given to you. And then James in context says, don't be double-minded, just be in faith and ask God. So we want to do that. So wisdom is not obscure. The words of wisdom here in Proverbs are not complicated. They're plain. It's easy to understand. They are there because God wants us to get it. He's not trying to hide. He's not playing riddles with us. And, and here's, a, here's a verse, a Proverbs 1, verse 4. It's in the first chapter. For it, these words are for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. God wants you to understand, even if you are not intellectually gifted. This is not about intelligence. It really isn't. These are words to give prudence to the simple. It's not about age. It's not like, well, you know, uh, I've learned a lot through my life. Well, you do. I'm an older man. I do know you learn through your life. But you often learn through your mistakes and folly as much as anything. But actually, this is knowledge and discretion to the young. You can be wise even though you're young. God wants to give you wisdom. You don't have to say, well, I've got to be old and have lived many years to be wise. But 
Proverbs is also for those who already are wise or maybe more uh, intellectually gifted. Let's look at Proverbs 1 verse 5. Let the wise listen and add to their learning. Let the discerning get guidance. So you don't say, well, I don't need any of this. You need it. You can add to your learning. You can add to your understanding and be even more discerning and wise. God's wisdom is for everyone, for the young, for the those who might have a, a genuinely little education, low IQ, for those who might have a hugely a high education and a high IQ. You can all learn from God's wisdom. It can be your constant daily companion. He can guide you in his ways day by day. We'll see that in some of the later verses we look at. His wisdom will fine-tune your daily life. This is not just for... Um, I don't know, high days and holidays or special crises or uh, times where you have huge big decisions to make. This wisdom is to guide you every day, all day. God wants you to be wise about just how you behave at work tomorrow, how you behave with the family, to walk the way he wants you to walk, to be able to discern what he's doing and do things his way, to get to the nature of a matter and be able to implement God's will in that matter day by day. That's what this wisdom's about. Let's move on to the third point I want to talk about. Wisdom is not about rules and laws. I think you can look at this, and it can sometimes be distorted by by churches and preachers, that like Proverbs is a whole load of rules and laws. But that isn't really what wisdom's like. I think how God wants it to work is a bit like learning to drive a car You learn to drive a car, and if you learn well, you will be able to negotiate everything that comes your way. You drive on fast roads that are smooth and open, round little narrow, tricky roads. You come over a brow of a hill, and there's a lorry parked. might give you a bit of a start, but you'll know how to do it. You'll know how to brake wisely and, and get round the obstacle. It's not about being told every single turning to make. Turn left now, turn right. It's not like some stupid sat-nav thing, you know. Now turn right, now turn right. Sorry, I haven't got one. You can tell I'm technically challenged, so I avoid as long as possible. But I think they're wonderful. Lots of people, I still use a map, though. But the point is something that tells you every step of the way. That's not, it's more wisdom how to live so that you can negotiate life with the wisdom of God. That's really what we're looking at. And actually, particularly for the New Testament, for the New Covenant Christian, the believer, we, who are after Jesus, this is almost particularly so. Because we have the Holy Spirit in us, as I've already said, Spirit of Truth. We have Jesus with us, the wisdom of God with us. And, and he works with the Word to guide us in our daily lives. The Holy Spirit guides us. Now, a guide doesn't carry you. They guide you. If you ever go to uh, mighty mountains, I've seen them, but I haven't climbed them, like the the Himalayas, you can get guides. You get Nepalese guides, and they're very skillful. Now, if you have a guide, the guide will not carry you up the mountain. You might be disappointed about that, but he won't do it. But what he will do is guide you, and if you're sensible, you'll take great notice of him. So he will tell you, probably he'll negotiate the difficult parts and avoid some of the worst. He'll judge a little bit, probably, your skill level at climbing. And he will get you uh, to places where you can have rest at night, where it's sheltered if there's a storm. And uh, he might warn you in advance, this ledge is very narrow, you know, keep to the, 
the, the, to the side of the cliff or whatever. I'm, I, you know, that's a guide. A guide doesn't carry you, but if you're sensible, you do the whole journey listening carefully to the guide. Perhaps he goes ahead of you. Well, the Holy Spirit is our guide, and he works with the wisdom of God to guide us through our lives. He does, we still make the call, just like the climber. If you're climbing, you will still be making decisions whether you take notice of the guide or not. Be silly not to. But you will still have aching limbs and your lungs will be hurting as you breathe. You will still make an effort, but you will successfully walk up this mountain. And God wants you to successfully walk through life. Live well. You will make an effort. There'll be dangerous times. There'll be scary times. But the wisdom of God will lead you through. Now, that's not legalism. That is life. So it's not a sat-nav. It's how to drive. It's not carrying you up a mountain. It's guiding you on your journey. And you still need to pay attention. You still need to make sure you've got the good, good climbing boots on and aren't careless when you walk along the ledge. But you do know that if you listen to the guide, you will probably get through safely and successfully. Let's move on to the fourth one. The wisdom of God helps us live in harmony with creation. An interesting thing. You know, when we first look at many of these proverbs, they can seem quite countercultural to modern 21st century minds. Not all of them, but you know, spare the rod and spoil the child might be one I just comes off the top of my head. You know, we think we're quite clever today in how we should run life. And we actually think the Bible's probably a bit out of date and God's a little bit last century or the century before. Now, as I said to you, it's not only contemporary, but the one we're hearing from, the God we're learning from, is the God of creation. And actually, his wisdom is in harmony with how things are made. Just look at this verse, Proverbs 3, verse 19. By wisdom, the Lord laid the earth's foundations. By understanding, he set the heavens in place. Just let that sink in. The same wisdom that's available to you is the wisdom God used to make everything. By wisdom, God laid the earth's foundations. By understanding, he set the heavens in place. He knows better about life than any man or woman and than any 21st century philosopher of any particular brand. God knows how life works. He knows. He knows what marriage is. He knows what men and women are, what they're meant to be doing. God does know. We are not cleverer than God that we can re-engineer everything and think we're okay. And so actually, we need to listen to God's wisdom because it brings us into harmony with the things he's made and helps us to drive back the enemy or even to straighten up what's become crooked because we've got a long way away from the creator and what he's said about things. And we have. We have individually, we have as a, as a race, got a long way from the, the wisdom that created the world. And actually, God would line us back up again. So we need to listen, not only in Proverbs, but throughout the Bible, but particularly as we look at Proverbs, listen to the creator's voice that we might be well, literally be well and live well, which is God's objective. The seven of these, fifth point I want to make is this. There are consequences to not living your life by God's wisdom. That's what comes out throughout the book of Proverbs. 
The book of Proverbs is not just a book of positive slogans. It's not just a book of nice thoughts, you know, pr- pretty little thoughts that you could perhaps put on a, on, a, on a little thing and stick on your fridge. There are some like that, and, and it's not a bad thing to do, but that, that's not particularly what they're for. They're not just nice thoughts. They, there is, in much of it, a straightness and an honesty and even a challenge, an edge to it. If you don't do this, or if you do this, you will be in trouble. There's a warning element. There's a challenging element. It is a fundamental issue about reaping and sowing, which is all through the Bible, that how you sow influences how you reap. Now, thank God for Jesus. We won't finish the morning without talking about the redemptive work of Christ Jesus just to help us. But, but as we linger on this point, we've just got to let it sink in that actually to ignore God's ways has consequences. If you sow something in a particular seed, you tend to reap what that seed is. And that is how God's judgment often works in a day-to-day sense. Even simply ignoring God's wisdom, doing nothing about it, is dangerous. It's dangerous. The personification, the woman wisdom in Proverbs chapter 1, just here in Proverbs 1, has this warning for those, quote, who refuse to listen when she calls, who refuse to listen when she calls, who do not pay, pay attention when she stretches out her hand. It's like wisdom is saying, I can give you a hand. Go back to our guide. I can give you a hand. I can help you. But if you ignore that and say, no, no, I'm all right. I don't need your help. You, there is a danger to it. Those who disregard her advice. This is what she says at the end of chapter one. This isn't on the PowerPoint. She says, then they will call to me, but I will not answer. They will look for me, but will not find me. So there's a sense if you completely ignore it for too long, there comes a hardening in you, probably, that you almost can't find the wisdom. So whilst your heart is tender, you need to respond to the things God says. Then she goes on to say, since they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, since they would not accept my advice and spurn my rebuke, They will eat the fruit of their ways and be filled with the fruit of their schemes. For with the waywardness of the simple will kill them and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me will live in safety and be at ease without fear of harm. There is a real challenge for every one of us in this room. Are we going to listen to God's wisdom? Now, when you read through the book of Proverbs, the most mentioned reason why we don't listen, why we're deaf to wisdom and don't listen to her call, is this. Here it comes. Being wise in your own eyes. Watch my lips. (laughs) Because it's not just for unbelievers. It applies to us as Christians. We are not automatically wise. We have a head start in learning it. We have an opportunity to live better than than others might. We are privileged because we're in tune with it. But we've still got to respond to it. And the biggest obstacle is being wise in your own eyes. Simple and telling. The problem is never an intellectual one in Proverbs. It's a spiritual one. It's pride. And we need to hear that. 
I thought, just looking if I've got it. Yeah, I have. One, go up. Uh, Proverbs 26, 12. Thank you. Do you see a person, this is one example from the book. Do you see a person wise in their own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for them. Do you see a person wise in their own eyes? More hope for a fool than for them. Now, actually, brothers and sisters, and I speak as one in a similar position to you, this can be quite a big problem for all of us, that we think we know best, either on the basis of just our sheer pride or on the basis of a certain way we've learned to think or been educated to think or whatever you like to call it. But we're not gonna, we look at the wisdom of God and we think, oh, that's a bit, I don't think, I don't think that's right. Well, just be careful be humble, it's the big thing, be humble, be patient and listen for wisdom's voice. Don't be wise in your own eyes. There is more hope for a fool than for them. <laughs> but it's not, as I say, it's not an intellectual thing. It's a spiritual thing. Proverbs repeatedly makes clear this, that the, the fool, and there is a fool that appears quite a lot in the book of Proverbs, the p- foolish person likes their folly. It's not that they've got a lack of ability to understand. They don't revere God's truth. They don't have any regard for God, any fear for God. I think we'll be looking at that, perhaps even next week, and we'll unpack what that means. They are complacent. They think they're better than God. They think they know more than God, and a result is tragic and destructive. Now, Proverbs highlights quite a lot of subsections of the fool. So I'm just going to say, list them very, very quickly. There's only two or three. And all I can say is if the cap fits, wear it. It's not for me to say. I mean, it may may not always fit, but you might think, oh, I've been wearing that cap recently. I need to chuck it in the bin. Because apart from the fool, there is the mocker or the scoffer. And they're a sort of version of the fool. Once again, this is not an issue of mental capacity. It's an issue of mental attitude. The problem is not mental capacity, it is mental attitude. The mocker or scoffer has an attitude problem. He or she dislikes correction. No one can teach them what to do. They don't like being corrected. They make light of sin. This is from various parts in Proverbs. In other words, they think it's not that bad. It's not that bad. They like to debunk all that is good. So something that's good, they like to pull it down. They like to be cynical about it, like to argue against its value in life. Now, the Bible, Proverbs, tells us that this attitude means you are skating on very thin ice with God. Look at Proverbs 3, 34, 35. The he is God himself. So let's put it, God mocks proud mockers, but shows favor to the humble and oppressed. The wise inherit honor, but fools get only shame. God will mock you if you are a mocker. That's quite serious. I don't want to be on the wrong side of God. I hope you don't. And if you scoff and mock at God's wisdom, if you think, well, that's pretty stupid, or, you know, that that's doesn't really matter, you know, I, I, nobody can, I know, I'm going to take it on board, not take that seriously. You scoff it and mock it. There's a danger that in the end, you will find God mocks you. And there's a shame there. Whereas God shows favor to the humble and oppressed. Do you know, God loves humility. He just loves it. He's humble. God's humble. You think, oh, God's humble. Yes, he's humble. 
Think about Jesus. Think about how Jesus was born. Think about how Jesus lived and died and rose again. We worship a humble God. He's nothing to prove. He's a humble God. He doesn't go around showing off. He really doesn't. And he really doesn't like it in us. God loves to favour the humble and he sets himself against the proud. And it's very important to line up with the way God's value system works and remind ourselves of that even here at the beginning of looking at this book. There's one other person who's a sort of subsection of the fool and that is the sluggard. Do you know what a sluggard is? Sounds great. I love it. The word sluggard. A bit like a slug, I would imagine. I don't know if there must be a similar root to the word. I must look it up sometime. A sluggard. Whoa, I don't want to be a sluggard, do you? A sluggard is lazy. Again, it's not an intellectual problem. It's not a lack of ability, but the sluggard misses out on all God's wisdom because he or she makes ridiculous claims that they can't be bothered or they haven't got time. They make, in Proverbs, preposterous excuses for their laziness. There's always a reason why they can't take it seriously. Their inactivity, their procrastination, too busy, too this, too that. It's a lion in the street. You know, I'm, no, I went to bed late last night. That's why I deserved a good lion. You know, you read it in Proverbs, you'll find it. There's always a reason why you can't take wisdom seriously. But do you know, fundamentally... The sluggard has the same problem as every other fool. Look at Proverbs 26:16. A sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven people who answer discreetly. Ah, it's not that you haven't got time. It's not that you've got this and that and there's a lion in the street. It's you think your way is okay. You actually think I'm okay. I, I, I'm fine. I don't need to do anything about this. It's a form of pride. The sluggard thinks he's fine as he is, or she is. That actually, I really don't need to make any effort to change anything. That is folly. When we read Proverbs, don't be a sluggard. (laughs) Don't make loads of excuses and put things off. Because actually, you're just another version of wise in your own eyes. That's how it is. The sluggard is not particularly dim. They're not particularly dim. They're an ordinary person who makes excuses. Gives themselves a lot of indulgences. Makes a lot of postponements. Has a self-confidence which leads them to ignore God's word and the promptings of God's word. So the sluggard we're not that sympathetic with. They're a fool. (laughs) And it's a challenge to us as well. And it's a challenge to me. Because I think of all of these three, I mean they're all versions of the fool. I would battle a little bit with being a mocker and a little bit with being a sluggard. They're the ones that hit me sometimes. And I think God said, God gets right in my face and says, there's no excuse. It's just another version of being wise in your own eyes. Now listen to me. Let's go on quickly. Number six, get wisdom at any cost. And the verses that I sort of tied around this morning's talk, just two verses, are actually in Proverbs 4. And they're going to come up on the screen. Proverbs 4 verse 7 says this, The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. Though it cost all you have, get understanding. And then verse 13, if we can pop that up, it says, Hold on to instruction, do not let it go, guard it well, for it is your life. That's pretty fundamental. So God says, my wisdom is available, 
It's out there in the street. It's, on the, it's the gold lying on the ground. It's not hard to find. Get it. Make an effort. Don't mock. Don't be a sluggard. Get it. Get wisdom. <laughs> Though it costs you all you have, get it. Get God's word. Get hungry for God. Get hungry to understand things his way. And then when you've got it, hold on to it. Don't let it go. Guard it well, for it is your life. I would, as I get towards the end this morning, not quite at the end, don't get too excited. As I get towards the end, I'd say, do you have a hunger to live well? Not like to, oh, I just want to have a really easy life, but to live successfully. Do you have a hunger to get things as they should be in your life, in your home, to, to, to make it work with God? That's very good. I hope you have got a hunger because that's what you need. You need to hunger for it. Lord, I want to get wisdom. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Yes, I want to ask you, Lord, for wisdom. I want to get wisdom. Even though it might cost you quite a bit. I want to live, Lord, your way. Now, there's some effort in it. There's some passion in it. Although the way to wisdom is not hard to find, there are a few complications. We've already seen in Proverbs that wisdom is like a a, a woman, a, a wonderful, attractive character, nice woman, wise woman, who's inviting you to come and eat at her table. That is the metaphor in Proverbs 9. Basically, Wisdom has built her house, and she, verse 3, she sent out her servants. This isn't on the PowerPoint. She sent out her servants. She calls from the highest point of the city, let all who are simple come to my house. Now, keep the image. Keep it in your mind. It's all picture stuff, and it's very exciting. It's good. It helps us to connect with it. So wisdom is like this woman who's built a house, who's laid a beautiful meal out. She's set her table. She's prepared her meat and mixed her wine. This is an attractive meal. Beautiful meal laid out. Paid, cooked her a meat. She's mixed her wine. And she says from the highest point in the city, let all who are simple come to my house. Those who have no sense, come, eat my food. Drink the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and you will live. Walk in the way of insight. What a lovely offer. God says, I want you to live well. I want you to eat at my table. Come, says wisdom, and eat. Now, unfortunately, there's a complication. It's not in us, but it is in the situation. Our experience is that is not the only voice calling out. In Proverbs 9, there's another woman, and she's pretty seductive as well. But this one, wisdom isn't seductive, sorry. I, she's pretty attractive, but this one is seductive. And this woman is called Folly. Folly is an unruly woman. She is simple. She knows nothing. Listen, she sits at the door of her house on a seat at the highest point of the city, calling out to those who pass by, who go straight on their way. Let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, stolen water is sweet. Food eaten in secret is delicious. But little do they know that the dead are there and her guests are deep in the realm of the dead. Wow, sounds like a horror film, doesn't it? So there is not one voice calling. There's wisdom and there's folly. And they're both women. It seems like they've got different uh, meals to offer. And they're calling out, come and eat, you're simple. It's not, but there's this sort of seductive voice of folly calling out as well, a rival voice. 
It's not that wisdom isn't open and friendly, is, is inaccessible and hard to find and cold and withdrawn. No, no, she's not. She is as open and friendly as folly. But we are the ones who've got to make the wise choice. We've got to say, which table are you going to eat at? Which table are you going to eat at? Are you going to eat at wisdom's table or folly's table? It's your call, really. And you have to make a wise choice, shall we say. You do. Remember, it's not intellectual ability. Keep saying that. It's about choosing God's way. So our final point is this. A little bit of why is such an effort involved in getting to wisdom? If it's just like, well, obviously that table and this table, and obviously, surely, it's obvious you should eat wisdom. Why do so many avoid it? Well, yes, wisdom and folly are equally open and welcoming. But our experience is a little distorted by a number of things. One is that we live in a foolish world. One of the things the Bible says is this. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Okay? Just a simple statement. So people who are saying there's no God are, they may be highly intelligent, professors at one of Oxbridge universities, and of course there's many in this category, but they are fools. And our culture is full of folly has a big head start on wisdom. (laughs) Folly's got a big PA system and wisdom is just calling out. And the voices are not probably equal to our ears. We ourselves grew up in a foolish way of living. We're used to folly. We're quite familiar with her voice. Possibly our own folly and other people's sin to us. But praise God... We can be saved. Now, from that situation. Now, here's where there is a little difference. I mean, anybody, and I mean it, can listen to God's wisdom. But the interference and the static is such that folly's voice is often a lot louder than wisdom's voice. However, if you can but recognize, humbly recognize, I am not wired to do things God's way. I do not make sensible choices in life. Not often. If you humble yourself and say, Lord, forgive my sin. Jesus, change me. Please make me different. Do you know he will do it? You become one of his people. You you are born again, as the Bible says, of the Holy Spirit. You have your mind renewed by the Holy Spirit. He will help you to think differently. The Holy Spirit will begin to change your heart. He'll give you a new heart. So you now actually can tune into wisdom a lot better than you used to. Because wisdom is sort of within you. Jesus has become for you wisdom. Now, brothers and sisters, I believe this. When you become a Christian, whatever your background, you will be able to hear God better. Twice this week, I've sat and listened to outstanding young leaders who I know a bit about their background. Steph Liston yesterday, and a guy called Matt Beanie who leads Putney Church I was listening to uh, at a meeting with Terry Virgo who had a guys together on midweek. Now, Matt Beanie, I know very well because I saw him saved at Hastings. He and his, his brother were saved from a terribly messed up background, seriously, seriously damaged lives. He, even when he was talking, he got a little emotional talking about his mother's funeral last year because it was the most difficult thing he'd ever done in his life to take his mother's funeral to, because of the state of his family life and his own relationships with them all but he has wonderfully changed he's now an outstanding young leader of a Putney church he's learned wisdom 
He was brought up with Folly's voice shouting his ears. You know, when we first met him as a, a, as a troubled, safe, unsafe teenager, he was truanting school. He and his brother were doing minor arson things. They were certainly into drugs and violence. And, and actually, they were totally listening to Folly all the time. Now, nobody wagged their finger at them and said, oh, naughty, well, a load of people did that, so they took no notice of it. Uh, uh, but, but somehow they met Jesus and their whole inner workings began to change. They began to tune in to wisdom. Matt reads and loves the Bible. And he's learned to live. He and his lovely wife, and how many children they got? Two, three, two. There's a lovely godly family, totally different to the family Matt came from. And I have to say that. And what's that? They've learned wisdom. Now, the other one, Steph Liston, was equally powerful. Don't, let, don't know him so well personally. But clearly, listening to his background, it's, a, you know, it's pretty strong. And, and, and yet, here he is, a powerful young leader. They've learned wisdom. What happens? Do they, do they just go to school? No, 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 no. Something changes on the inside. It can happen for any of us. That we get saved out of the world of foolishness and folly. We get cleaned up. We get forgiven. And it's like we have a new, a new software in there, the Holy Spirit. And we're now actually able to tune in to the voice of wisdom properly. But you've still got to work on it. You've still got to get it. You've still got to do it. I mean, we've got a whole new, new little kit there. You've still got to learn to use it, haven't you, Will? You've still got to get it right. You did very well. But you've still got to get it. You know, there's still got to be effort involved. And I know Will puts a lot of effort into these things. Often he's there for hours when we have new stuff all through the week trying to make sure it works. Thank you. I know you are. Uh, but actually, you know, just having the thing is only the beginning. That's right, isn't it? It is. You've still got to work. So you've got to work at God's wisdom. Is that making sense to you? It's not just like, oh, I'm a Christian now. It will work wonderfully. I know exactly what to do. No, no, you, you've got a, you have got a head start. But the Holy Spirit in you will work with the word of God. And you can battle against the world, the flesh, and the devil <laughs> to walk in the wisdom of God. We do need to be active. How are we active? Well, spend time in God's word. would be one way, praying, thinking, and listening to the Holy Spirit. Let's finish with a couple of verses from Proverbs 4. I'll just read to you verses 13 and 14. Hold on to instruction. Do not let it go. Guard it well, for it is your life. We read it just now. Brothers and sisters, we live in a world where it's like there's a riptide pulling us towards folly. It's like the tide drags us that way. But wisdom will take us upstream against the tide to places of security and well-being in God. You have to hold on to wisdom. There's a power in wisdom itself. It'll get you there, but you've got to hold on to it. It isn't without effort. Hold on to instruction. Do not let it go. Guard it well, for it is your life. Then do not set foot on the path of the wicked or walk in the way of evildoers. My son, pay no attention to what they say. Turn your ear to my words. Even as believers, we have to make choices. I'm not going that way. Folly can be very seductive. I'm not going to her house anymore. I've been there too often in the past. I'm going to eat at wisdom's table. And if we do that, God will show us how to be well and live well. I'm not promising you trouble-free life, not at all, no more than Jesus did. But you will know how to drive your car and negotiate those blind bends and those 
unexpected obstacles that turn up. And the wisdom of God will teach you to get round them or through them or over them or whatever it is and to be victorious in every situation.